today as we come to you this morning, Lord, I, I, I pray that uh, through this message, Lord, that your, um, your, your will would be done. God, I pray that uh, you would uh, use it to uh, further the gospel, Lord, that you would also be exalted uh, in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 15 is a familiar passage to, to uh, most of us. If you've grown up through church or in Sunday school or, or heard messages at any time in your life, there's a good chance that you've heard a message from Luke chapter 15. It's, it's got three stories in it. It's got a, uh, uh, we'll get to those stories in just a minute, but they're very familiar stories. And I want to just come around one simple question this morning. Just one simple question. What am I worth? In fact, if you could just do me a favor this morning, turn to your neighbor, the person next to you. Uh, Brother Gully doesn't have anyone in his row, so if someone would help him out over there, just uh, turn, to, turn to someone that you know or, or don't know that's near you and, and ask them the question, what am I worth? Now, don't answer the question. Don't answer. I didn't say answer the question. I just said ask the question, what am I worth? What am I worth? In fact, as I was uh, 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 doing some final preparations this morning, I, I just, I, I took out my phone and looked up in the Google machine. I looked up, I typed in, what is a human worth? And you would have, you'd be surprised all the things that came up. And uh, some of them I didn't click on. Uh, you, there, was a, there, was, there was one that, that, had a, uh, that had a thing that said, what is my body worth on the black market? <laughs> I mean, that was one of the things that popped up. And, uh, and it even had like the little answer that $45 million was, was, was one. I, I, I preached this message uh, in, in a, a, a little bit of a different way recently. And I remember when I was a kid, someone saying that if you were to take a body and like uh, burn it down to its, which I don't know why you'd want to do that, but uh, burn it down to its original, you know, elements and all, it's like worth $8 and said, well, I, do, I just wanted to make sure that what I said was right. And I was way off. There's actually a website and I did click on this one. It said, what is my, it, what is my body worth once I am dead? And uh, I, I know you said, brother Matt, what in the world? Why would you click on it? But I, I clicked on it. Okay, I'm sorry. I clicked on it, and it had a little uh, survey, and you actually answered questions, and uh, and I, I I have the answer still right here. Um, they ask you some general questions about your your living, how what you eat, what you don't eat, what, how you know how many eyes do you have, how many legs do you have, how many arms do you have, how many fingers do you have, how many toes do you have. Do you have any? One of the questions was, do you have any extra extremities, like an extra arm? Or something. It's true. And uh, when I got done, I pressed calculate, and it says, your dead body is worth $9,237. So that's not too bad. It says, with this money, you could buy 330 newly released Blu-ray DVDs. <laughs> or 168 pairs of Chuck Taylor All-Star Converse. Or 116 Amazon Kindles. 97, 90, I'm sorry, 77 Apple iPods, uh, 58 Nintendo Wii's, and it goes on, the last one's pretty neat, 11 46-inch Samsung LED TVs. Now, I don't know what you'd do with that if you're dead, but if I were to sell, I don't know how I'd sell my dead body, but if I could, that is, that, according to this, I am worth $9,237, uh, and I'm sure everyone in here knows that it's got to be completely false, but... That is what we, we ask that. No, no one really ever asks that question out loud. Now, we do a really good job at, at, at judging what other people are worth. When you say, when we see other people, we can go, you know, I'm not sure if they're, if they're worth what they think they're worth. Or, but no one really ever asks the question, what am I worth 
to somebody else. That's just an internal thing that us humans struggle with. What am I worth? What am I worth to my family? What am I worth to my job? What am I worth to myself? What am I worth to my God? We find our worth in so many different things. And some of us, we may find our worth in in something that somebody else would think is ridiculous. And then there's other things that they may think that makes them worth something or not worth something that we would find ridiculous. We find our security, our worth, young and old, in things like money. We find our worth in money, how much money we have or how much money we don't have. There's some people, they pride themselves in not having a lot of money. In fact, they think that they're worth more because they are poorer, or they think that they're worth more because they have more money, or they have money in savings, or how big their uh, uh, savings account, or how much money they even give. Uh, Some people find their worth in dating and who they date. Uh, I know some of you here are, are long past the dating scene. I thank the Lord that I'm long past the dating scene. If my wife ever were to leave or pass away or anything like that, heaven forbid, Lord, please no, that would be horrible. But I don't. I wouldn't want to date all over again. That was just. A, I didn't enjoy. How many of you enjoyed dating? Raise your hand. Yeah, not one. Oh, one, two. We have two people. Miss Sonia. No, it's good. I, so did I. I enjoyed dating my wife, but I didn't enjoy the process. And brother Dave, right up there. Dave, did you enjoy? Yeah, he's in right in the hand. Good job, brother Dave. I enjoy, I did not really enjoy the whole process of dating. But some people, man, they they'll find their worth in who they can date. You ever heard, man, that person is out of your league. I don't know if you're really worth dating that person. Or you ever seen some two people together and you're like, how in the world did he get her? Like, what in the world? How did that happen? People say that all the time about me. They're like, how in the world did he get her? Right? I don't know how I did. I wasn't worth what she was. She should have married someone worth a whole lot more. You ever, you ever done that before? You like, or, or, or even, uh, especially like in high schools, you'll find, you know, there's certain cliques of, of, of kids, right? And... No one ever really says it out loud. Sometimes they do. But, you know, this kid really shouldn't be hanging out with these type of kids. Or that kid really, he doesn't have the smarts or he's not athletic enough to hang out with this certain kid. And we kind of play this worth game in our society. Uh, Some people find worth in who loves them or who loves us. We'll find our worth in that, you know. Uh, one of the biggest problems right now is, 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 you know, in like Instagram and Facebook, you know, people actually buy followers in, in, in Instagram. I know it's, it's crazy, but it's true. People actually buy followers and, and, and buy their likes. Or you ever, anyone ever seen that, uh, that commercial? I think it's an AT&T commercial with the two guys. They're, they're riding along and they're talking about the new AT&T uh, uh, wireless network. And the guy just in the middle of it, he looks down and he goes, my selfie just got over 100 likes. You know, he's like all excited because... A picture of himself, a hundred people like that, people get their worth out of how many friends they have through social media or just friends that they have. And they think, man, I must be worth something because I have a lot of friends or I have a lot of followers or I have a lot of Facebook friends. Uh, People find their security in who they love, whether they love the lovely or whether they love the unlovely or I was able to marry someone extremely lovely. And so therefore I must be worth something because I love people. People find their worth in their job security. What kind of job they have, how long they've worked there. In their education, whether it be high education, no education, low education. Number seven, physical ability. 
People find their worth in their physical ability. Lastly, number eight, the church we attend. Some people even find their worth in what church they attend. I always grew up a pastor's kid. My dad started a church back in 1989. And it always amazed me what some people will leave a church over. You know, they're like committed. This is New Testament Christianity. We're willing to follow Christ all the way to the death. But I don't really like the worship band, so I'm going to change churches. You know, it's really kind of funny. Not, no one, I'm sure that no one says that here. But the point is people find their worth in the type of church that they attend or, or where they attend. We find our worth in so many different things. But here is one of the things that I've found that is the common denominator, and it is a scary common denominator in what we find our worth in. And it's this, that worth is something you earn. Worth is something that you earn. Listen, in the secular field, that works. In the world that works, the harder you work, the better you do, the more you get, the more you earn, the longer you stay at your job, the bigger the raise, the more people that like you, the higher you can climb the social ladder, the better you're worth, the more that you can abstain from these things or, or not do things that would, that would get you in trouble, the more that you study gets your worth and the more you earn, the more you are worth and that Worth is something that you earn. This is not necessarily a sin. It's not something that's bad. It is taught in us as a child. It's really, honestly, how the world works. It's how the economic system works. But Jesus did not live by this set of rules. In Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1, I'll just read the first two verses at first. We'll read through pretty much almost the entire passage. It says, Then drew near unto him, him meaning Jesus, the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The publicans, the Pharisees, his disciples are there. They're all wondering, why is Jesus hanging around worthless doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Why on earth would you hang around worthless people? See, Jesus was one of the most socially frustrating people in the world. I've ever heard people say, man, I would, have, I would love to have been around when Jesus was around. I would have loved to have been one of his disciples and hang around him and see him do his miracles and do all those cool things that he did and see him walk across the water. And Man, I would believe I'd have faith. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know so much. I don't know so much. You, you do realize how frustrating Jesus was socially. You understand the Pharisees at this time, we like to call them like, the, you know, those hypocritical, self-righteous. Those were the normal people at the time. These are the people that were doing their best. These are the people that paid their bills. These are the people that didn't do anything wrong. These are the people that actually did help poor people. They did things that were good, that were true. The problem is that they found their worth in those things, but we're not getting to that just yet. But the, the, the point is, the Pharisees were the normal people. So Jesus was, was on purpose being socially frustrating to the norm, to the culture of Israel at that time. Jesus, think about it. If, if, if I'm one of his disciples, if I'm one of Jesus' friends walking at the, on the earth at the same time as Jesus, 
And he's going up to, you know, like the woman at the well. We're talking about, you know, she's, she's a desperate housewife that's, that's, you know, hanging out by herself by a well that, you know, Jesus by himself, not supposed to be doing this, two different ethnicities. And by the way, not just, it wasn't a racial thing so much as it was a religious cultural thing. These, this religious culture was diametrically opposed to this religious culture. Jews and Gentiles, they didn't get along. Their ethnicities wouldn't let them get along. The cultures wouldn't let them get along. And Jesus is hanging out with this bad person who has a horrible reputation at this well. And then he's saying, like, like weird things. Like, you know, like, hey, drink of this water and you'll never thirst again. It freaked me out. If I, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Jesus, you can't talk like that to people. You can't hang around those type of people. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the short little man, right? Anyone know what the, 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 the shortest man in the Bible was? How many were taught that it was Zacchaeus? Ne, there's Nehemiah. <laughs> Right? Nehi, Nehemiah. But then there's also Bildad the Shuhite. So he was a little bit, yeah, he was a little bit sh- uh, shorter. But uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is this little guy, right? And he's, he's, think of this. We know the end of the story. We know he ends up getting right. We know all of this. But understand, this is the guy taking all of the money from everybody. As kind of a person as you think that you are, you ever been robbed before? Yeah, the, my, my, my goodness and grace, gracefulness, as much as I have, goes completely out the window if I get robbed. Someone takes my money that I work hard for, I get, real, I get mad real easily. Jesus is, is leading his disciples, he's around the Pharisees, he's around the, these, these other people that Zacchaeus has taken money from, and now he's befriending him. And not just befriending him, he walks by and he says, hey Zacchaeus, come on down from here, I'm going to go eat with you. I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to spend time with you and become your friend. Jesus, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just, all this, he hasn't even showed any signs of repentance either. Maybe I could see if Zacchaeus was sorry about what he's done, but he's not even sorry. And you're going to go hang out with him? You're going to go eat with him? You can't do those things. Jesus, come on. But Jesus was trying to prove something to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to the Jewish culture, that worth was something different than what they thought it was. People would often ask the question, Jesus, why do you waste your time with these type of people? And so Jesus answers the question of why he hangs out with these type of people and why his worth is different with three stories or three parables. First parable he talks about is the shepherd and the lost sheep. Let's read it. Verse number three says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you have an hundred sheep? If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Man, what a beautiful story. Wow, this shepherd goes and, and, and he goes after this one sheep and, and finds the sheep and, and, and brings it back into the fold. And we look at that story as love. But I want you to realize for a second how ridiculous this sounds. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. Okay, hold on just a second. We're going to do the math here. I'm not a big mathematician, but I can figure this one out pretty good. Okay, he's got a hundred sheep. One dumb sheep 
leaves the fold, leaves all the kindness, leaves all the protection on his own volition, on his own will, leaves the fold, goes off and wanders off by himself. There's 99 sheep that are doing right. They're obeying all the rules. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. They're underneath the protection. They're not doing anything wrong. They're there. The shepherd leaves them, leaves the 99, walks and searches and tries to find that one lost sheep who is rebellious. By the way, the Bible likens us to sheep, doesn't he? I'm sorry, this is supposed to be encouraging, an encouraging message. But Jesus calls us sheep. We are like dumb sheep. This one sheep leaves the fold. And then, then, after he finds the sheep, he throws a party. He spends money after he finds the asset that he lost. If I am, if I'm the financial counselor for the shepherd, I'm sitting him down. And I'm saying, okay, we need to talk here for a second, okay? I don't know if you, like, understand, but you just left all 99 unattended uh, with, with no shepherding. You left one and went after a sheep that has got problems. Let's be honest. This sheep has got, has got problems. He's got a rebellious problem. He walked off on his own volition. You went out and tried to find him. And then when you find him, you've got your asset back. Listen, I wouldn't advise that, but you got all hundred now. That's great. But then you spend money. You invite all your little shepherd friends over and you have a big party. And now you've just spent just as much money that you, when you found the sheep, that you had for the sheep. So it doesn't make any financial sense. What is wrong with you? And then we have the second parable. The second parable is the woman and the lost coin. Now this one makes a little bit more sense, but it's still, it's still kind of, you know, crazy when you think about it. This woman has got 10 coins. She loses one of the coins. And the woman, the Bible says, she sweeps the house. If you look this word up, this literally means that she turned the house upside down. Have you ever lost something that you were really trying to find and you just absolutely tore it? It didn't matter how much you destroyed trying to find this one thing. In fact, you get, eventually you just get like obsessive, compulsive, like I've got to find it. Well, this is what this lady is. She cannot find this coin. She literally tears the house apart. That means she was willing to do anything. That means crawl into like, you know, the crawl space where all the spiders and the, the rats and the snakes and the whatever else you're afraid of is under. You ever, ever been in a crawl space before? Oh, it's awful. It's nasty. Okay? It's not someplace you really want to be. She's in there. She's snaking out the drain. You know, all you ladies that let your hair go down the drain and it clogs up the. I mean, she's like snaking the drain, pulling out nasty. She's getting her hand in the toilet. I mean, it's disgusting. She is going after this coin. She does everything that she can to find this coin. She finds the coin. And then guess what she does? She has a party and spent, invites all of her friends over and spends money celebrating the fact that she found this coin. Once again, if I'm the financial counselor, I've got, to, I've got to have a little bit of a talk with my friend here, the little lady, and say, I don't know if you really understand economics. Do you understand what the value of one is? Can you imagine him talking to the Pharisees and the publicans, and they're trying to understand in their culture, why would you put that much value on one? And what Christ is showing us in these stories, and we'll get to the third story in just a second, that's where the message will come from, but what Christ is showing in these stories is his infinite, unexplainable value of one. 
He's saying, your value system isn't my value system. Sometimes I value one more than anything else. And I'm willing to give up everything to find it. So it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense, but you do realize God did that. You were one. One soul that was rebellious. That on your own volition left the protection and went out on your own. All of us are sinners. And we don't deserve the protection of our shepherd. But our shepherd went after us. God sacrificed his only begotten son. He sacrificed everything for one. That means if you were the only sinner, the only one to sin, that God would have sent his son for you. Well, that doesn't even make sense. Why would he do that? Because he's God. And he can. And he did. And although the economics may not make sense to you and me, they make sense to him. From an early age, we are taught cause and effect. We know what cause and effect is? If you do this, this happens. Or you get this, right? You, we're, we're teaching this to our daughter right now. If you do this, you get this. Especially, like, right now with, like, the lying thing. Like, she's, I think I mentioned this maybe in my last message. She had gotten really, really good. Like, I mean, like, scary good at just bold face. She's five years old, by the way. Five years old. Bold face, like, lying. No, nope, I didn't do it. I, it wasn't me. I have no idea. I know you don't have any other kids in this house. Uh, but, and I know that uh, neither of you ate the cookies. But I just, honestly, something unexplainable must have happened. And uh, it, it's not really up to me to explain it because I don't know what happened. Uh, we, we were... We were driving in the car. This may be an inappropriate story for a Sunday morning. Maybe I should tell it tonight when it's a little bit more appropriate. But uh, we're, we were driving in our, in our car yesterday. I, think, I believe, yeah, it was yesterday. We were picking up some stuff at Walmart. And, um, and uh, as we were driving there, we were, we were just pulling into the parking lot, and I smelled something. And I went, wow. Oh, and I, I, I looked in the rearview mirror, you know, you know, dads, how you do it. You cock the rearview mirror at the kid, you know. And I said, Jocelyn, did you, I won't say the word out loud, may offend you. And uh, she goes, yes, sir. <laughs> so <laughs> we got out of the car and she, she asked the question, she goes, daddy, did I lie? And uh, because we've been working on lunch, she was so proud of herself that she really wanted me to say, <laughs> you know, I'm proud of you for not lying. But uh, we're working. We're working on the lying. It cause and effect. She knows that if she lies, she gets a certain punishment for that. And there's no exceptions to the, to the rule. Okay? She's learning from the, from the early age on. You do this, you get this. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You sin, you have to pay for it. Right there. In, in, in our society. If you, if you go into Walmart and get chicken... You get chicken, so you have to pay for it. You pay for it, therefore you get it. If I work a week at work, at the end of work, there's my cause. The effect is I get my paycheck. Nothing happens without something else happening, was it? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's cause and effect. It never, ever changes. Cause, effect, cause, effect. Here's the thing. Jesus was the cause. We are the recipient of the effect. 
Jesus was the cause. Jesus became the cause. We were originally the cause. We were the sinners. We deserve the effect of that. Jesus changed that. He became the cause. We became the recipient of the effect. The problem comes in when we try to be a part of the cause. Jesus is the cause. Whenever we think, man, in order for me to be worth something, I have got to do something about this. A lot of times it happens before we ever receive Christ, before we ever make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We think that there's got to be some way that maybe I can make myself worthy. I've done a lot of bad things in my life. Maybe if I can live a good life, maybe then I will be worthy of salvation. Maybe then I'll be worthy of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Then sometimes, even after, after we get saved and after we accept Jesus Christ through grace, we still think that there's a way that maybe if we work hard enough or not do enough bad things that we'll get worth in Jesus' eyes. And it doesn't work that way. God's economic system does not the same as our economic system. Number three, the last parable, Jesus talks about the father and the lost son. If you'll pick up with me in, in verse number 11, this is where he talks about the third, the third uh, parable. He said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. I mean, this guy has gone to Vegas. He's gone to, you know, to Amsterdam. He's, he's taken everything that his father gave him, all of his worth, and he has spent it. He's spent it all. Riotous living, it's all gone. It's all washed away now. Verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that swine did eat, and no man gave him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and no more, what? Worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet away off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. A famine occurs in the land. The son has taken all of what his father gave him and wasted it. Spent it all. The son realizes that, man, I'm not worth anything. He had that same internal battle that we all go through. What is my worth? You know what? He put his worth in his father's inheritance. Put in his worth in how much fun he was having. He put his worth in several other things. And when all of those things 
disappeared, he came to the conclusion, which is really the same conclusion that he had, he had had when he got the money from his father, that his worth was based on what he had and what he was doing. So when he finds himself literally staring at a corn husk, saying, man, I really would like there to be some corn on this corn husk. Man, my, my dad's hired servants are full. He comes up with this speech. He says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go find my father and I'll tell him I'm no longer worthy. Basically bow down and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done what I've done and I'm no longer worthy to be even called thy son. And, and you know what, if you'll, if you'll take me back and I can work really, really hard, maybe if you'll just let me, you know, join in with your servants and, 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 and work and maybe work in the fields or do whatever you want me to do, and then maybe, I can totally understand if you won't let me, but maybe somehow I can work my way back to being called your son. He comes up with this speech, in fact, delivers it perfectly. I mean, i got to give the guy a hand. He does it great. He comes up, and he, but what does the father do? He doesn't even listen to his son's speech. He gives him a hug. And he says, no, 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 no. No, son of mine is going to talk like that. Go kill the fatted calf. Let's go throw a party. I want you to understand, too, I've heard different messages on this, on this passage, and one of them that I'm can think of in particular this pastor so you know beautifully delivered uh, this part of the message where he said that in order in this culture you have to understand this father was a well-to-do man he was the owner of his own business he was more than likely dressed very nice and in this culture if your son took his inheritance early and ran off and said I no longer your son he was cut off from the family Socially, you were not supposed to accept him back into the family. And when his son shows up, he runs to his son. In this culture, it was not, it was not proper for a grown man with a business and his own household to run. He would walk. He didn't run to anything. But he sees his son and he's so overcome with love for his son that he runs to his son he doesn't care what anyone else is seeing. He's, I always pictured, maybe you never picture, you know, the Bible stories when you're a kid. You got that, in my mind, I've got like this open field, this, you know, really, really nice house with one, I always have the one cow. Like if they had one cow and that was the cow they killed. And it was like the poor cow sitting there, you know, oh, great. <laughs> Kill the fatted calf. I've had such a great life. You know, I always pictured, you know, this big, you know, farm set with the white picket fence. Or, this is not how it looked. There was more than likely other gatherings of houses around with other people in the street seeing this wayward son come back to the father going, ho, ho, there's, there's the prodigal, right? There's the wayward son. There's the son that is, that is cut off from the family. The dad doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care how he looks. He runs to his son. His son tries to give him a speech. He says, I don't want to hear your speech. I don't care. I'm so happy that you've come back. The value he put in one. God values you. But it's not because of what you've done. 
There's nothing that you can do to make yourself valuable. I don't care what the website says, $9,237 or however much you're worth. It's not where your worth is found. Your worth is found in the cross. You see, some people would take this and look at it as cheap grace or it doesn't really matter what you do because you're always going to be worth the same to Jesus or to God. But the truth matters, if you ever want to see the price God puts on your sin, look at the cross. Think if your sin is serious or not. If you think I'm just making sin out to be something that isn't very serious or just something to laugh at or that God just kind of winks at sin, just take a look at the cross. See what he did to his only begotten son for you. Next time that you decide to indulge in being a prodigal and sin, just understand that that sin is what nailed the Savior to the cross, made him suffer what he had to suffer, and and God had to watch his son suffer for your sin. Sin is not something to laugh at or to wink at or to think, well, just, you know, I'm valuable. No, you're valuable because God put a price tag on the cross. The value of one. He finds out that his worth is gone and we find that in Luke 15, Jesus is showing his disciples, he's showing the publicans, he's showing the Pharisees, he's showing the scribes, he's showing these people that he puts worth in a different area. The thinking that your worth is based off of your merit and what you do or don't in life is the greatest enemy of the gospel. I know that there's more than likely people in here that ha- aren't Christians. And of course, I told you in the beginning, I, our prayer is, man, that you would accept the grace that God has extended you and that you would follow Christ and that you'd find that relationship in him that is the only relationship that will satisfy. But there's, there's some of us in here that have that relationship, and yet we still try and try and try to get our worth through all these other things, and we start living by the humanistic economic system of worth. And what that does is it shows the world that we have the same value system they do. We've got to start putting a value on one. The next time you walk by somebody that, in your mind, just doesn't socially match who you are, or socially or economically or personality-wise, just doesn't match who you are, just understand that Jesus put an invaluable exceptional, illogical value on that one person. The man walking down Central Avenue with no coat, begging for money, dirty, you can tell has lived a rough life of sin, understand that his worth is not determined by his sin or what he's wearing or who he is or what he's done. His worth is is in the fact that Jesus nailed his son to a cross for that person. 
The next time that you look at yourself and you think, man, I'm worth something, or the opposite, I'm not worth anything, understand that Jesus was nailed to a cross. You are worth something through him. So start living your life with that kind of value. Not to get more money, not to get a better job, not to have a better social status, not to be more athletic, not to get a better uh, date, not to improve your spouse or your marriage. Those are all, in most areas, smart, great, good things, but those are to be byproducts of finding your worth in Jesus Christ. Where is your worth today? Are you using the wrong scale It's the greatest enemy of the gospel if you are basing it off of your own merit. The biggest problem with the sinner is not that I need to try to stop sinning. It's it's stopping to try to earn your worth. Here's the reason why Jesus ignored, or the Father ignored that speech. And with this I'll close. The reason why the Father didn't even accept the Son's speech is because his Son's worth was never in what he thought his worth was in. You see, our Christianity is not about our worth. It is about our birth. Christianity is not about our worth. It is about our birth. Uh, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. The other day I walked into my, into my, into my kitchen. This is, by the way, a parable. This really didn't happen. But I'm going to tell it like it really happened, okay? I walked into you know, my kitchen and my daughter was sitting there. We were getting ready for school and she was eating her Cheerios and, and, uh, uh, doing kid things. And, uh, I walked up to her and I said, Hey, how you doing, Jocelyn? Good morning. She said, good morning, father. Uh, there's something I need to talk to you about. I said, well, okay, well, do I need to take a seat? She said, you probably need to take a seat. So I pulled the seat out and I sat down and scooted the, the seat. And I said, okay, Jocelyn, uh, what, what, what do you need to tell me? She goes, well, I've done a lot of thinking, and uh, I've weighed pros and cons of me, and I feel like at this point, the pros have much outweighed my cons, and so I want to tell you, I really feel like I have earned the last name Thistle, and I feel like right now I, I am worthy to, be, to, to carry that last name. You know what I'd tell her? I'd say, why don't you finish the Cheerios that I bought you? at the table that I bought you over the house that I provided. Maybe later on we'll go get some candy from the Mexican store, which he loves to do, in the car that I provided for you, in the clothes that I provided for you, and all the things that I provided for you. Your worth doesn't have to do with anything that you earn, Jocelyn. Your last name is your last name because you were born into my family. Your worth isn't what you can earn. It's all about your birth. You were born again. That's why we use the term born again. If you've been saved, if you've had Jesus Christ as your savior, you've been born again. Your worth no longer has anything to do with what you do or what you don't do. It has everything to do with it. You are a child of God. You're a child of God. You ever heard the term though, you know, you better start living up to your last name. But here's the thing. We have the power to live up to our last name of Christian. You can be a Christian, not because of what you can do, but because of who lives in you. You've been born 
a different person. You don't have to any longer do the things that you feel tempted to do. Why? Because of the power of the cross. Because of the power of the cross. There's one last part of this story. And I'm not going to get into the part of the story, but we know there's two sons. The first son is the prodigal, then the other son is the one that, that did all the right things. That, that, that obeyed all the rules, that stayed and didn't take the inheritance. And he was also basing his worth off of what he had done. One was basing it off of what they hadn't done. One was basing it off of everything that they did do. Both were wrong. Both were sons because they were born into the family. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when he was called down out of the tree, I mean, he's on his way to go eat with Jesus. How cool of a thought would that have been? I mean, imagine Zacchaeus going, I can't believe this. Everyone else, man, they were just, you know, pushing in front of the crowd. I got up in the tree. Jesus sees me. He calls me down. Now I'm going to go eat with him. This is, this is awesome. He wasn't even in a repentant spirit yet. I mean, he's, you know, probably like this, you know, walking with Jesus with his arm around him, just having a, having a blast on his way. And then everyone else is looking, going, this isn't right. This isn't fair. But that's not what his worth was found. His worth was found that Jesus, because Jesus had died for him, Zacchaeus' worth, the son that uh, is the second son in this story, their worth was also from the same place. The shepherd with the lost sheep, I'm filling these blanks just for so you can fill them in here, okay? Shepherd with the lost sheep equals Jesus. Woman with the lost coin shows us the Holy Spirit. And the father with the lost son shows us God the Father. In only a way that Jesus could do, he gave us three stories showing all three of his beings as one, all showing the value of one. And not what that one was really valuable to us or in an earthly setting, but showing that he puts value where we wouldn't put value. God puts a value in your soul. This is what I, the whole gist of the message. The value that you have in you, because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, means you need to start putting a value on other people. The Bible says, he that loses his life shall find it. The Bible talks of us to help those that are unlovely and that are in need. Have you ever, you know, seen someone that you probably should have helped, but you thought, well, if I give them this, what if they do this? Or what if they take that and, and abuse it? Or what if they, I'm sure glad God didn't do that. He sent his son to die on the cross. I'm glad he didn't go, well, there could be some people that take advantage of this grace. There could be some people that may never, ever accept Jesus as their Savior. So do I want to die for them if they don't go through on it? Put a value, an unexplainable value that we can't think of. It doesn't make any logical sense to us, but Jesus or God put a value on one person. Listen, you may have lived a great life. You've 
been in a church for 30, 35, 40 years and been faithful to your wife and given and, and, and those are all awesome things. Those are, those are to be byproducts of putting a value on one soul. That doesn't make you more valuable than the lost person walking down the street that doesn't have a dime to them. Jesus hung out with not so great people. He put a value in worthless people. The prodigal son knew he didn't have any earthly worth, but his father put a value on him, even though all of his father's friends, co-workers, and people in his culture looked at that son and said, that son is not valuable. I think that's why God gives us, some of us children, or sees children. I know when I see my daughter, it wouldn't matter what she's done, where she's been, and I may be disappointed. I'm going to tell you, I'd still do anything for her. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When God sacrificed his kid for you. Those of you who maybe you're here t- today and you're, you're wanting a relationship with Christ, but you're thinking that you have to earn it. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, if I just be good enough, maybe one day Jesus will accept me and I can go to heaven. I can spend time with him. It's not in that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Your salvation has nothing to do with what you can do. It has everything to do with what Jesus already did for you. Or if you've already been saved today, are you trying to continue to earn that relationship with Christ? Or accept the birth that's been given to you? Let's pray. As I pray, if you'd stand, the worship team will come.